Blog Talk Radio. Bed Tales, the podcast about Laura Ingalls Wilder, historic food waste, one-room schools, and other social history. This is Sarah Utah, the host and creator of Trundle Bed Tales. Find us all around the web under Trundle Bed Tales and on your favorite social media platform. If you listen or just have an account on iTunes, please leave positive feedback because that helps people find the show. And today's episode is Travel Time, the Henry Ford and Greenfield Village Take. And before we get too far into that, let us quickly take a little housekeeping. And part of the housekeeping, I want to apologize to anybody who tried to listen to this show previously and I just don't know what is going on with Blog Talk Radio. I I was willing to admit that some of these things maybe had something to do with my technology, but it, it last when I tried this episode before, it showed me that it recorded for the first or for the whole half hour. And when you go to listen to it, not only can you not hear me, which fair enough if there was some problem with the mic, it shuts off and it did not show it shutting off. So I talked for a half hour to myself. So I'm getting as frustrated with it as you are and I apologize and I just keep slogging away and hopefully things will get straightened out. So that said, if you want to be part of the show, call in to 714-242-5253. That's 714 714- uh, 242 or toll-free 1-877-633-9389. Uh, um, the other thing that I want to make sure people know about is September is our big, uh, our big um, event, one of our big event months for Laura. There's a, there is a, uh, Hold on. The uh, number is under the um, coaster by your place. Okay, sorry about that. Had an interruption from my administrative assistant who liked us. So anyway, this is the big month for, or one of the big months for the Laura events. There is going to be a event in um, Pepin, which I'm going to be at. There's also going to be an event in Mansfield, which I'm sadly not going to be at, and a couple of other smaller days around. And with that, I am going to take us back to the main episode. So what we're going to be talking about today is the Henry Ford and Greenfield Village. And I want to kind of use this talk 
Uh, this isn't going to be one of my travel plans. I would have to get back and visit there for uh, me to feel comfortable doing a travel plan. I've been there once, and it's been a few years ago. Uh, I hope to do that at some point, but this is going to actually be a bit more about the history of the museum and also how that museum hooks into American history, which is actually pretty darn cool. So this is going to be sort of the story behind it and uh, not really a specific how to do things. And when I did go to visit, uh, I hadn't done much research before I went the first time. I had just, uh, you know, I was going for a conference and I thought, yeah, that's nice. And when I came back, I had been so blown away by it that I started buying research materials because you know what happens when you interest a librarian in something, they start building a reference collection. So I've got about a shelf with, worth of um, magazine articles and guidebooks and publications in the park and all sorts of cool things like that uh, that I have since learned. Now, I looked at it, uh, I haven't looked at it all that closely lately, but I need to get uh, up to speed because hopefully we're going to be able to go to the Mumsy Midwest Open Air Museum Coordinating Council Conference this fall in November. Uh, which is going to, as always, be a great event. If you ever get a chance to go to one and you like history at all, go, because it's a, just a very welcoming event and there's all sorts of great people. So to get my mind back to Henry Ford, I've been kind of roughly going through some of my stuff and looking for highlights, and I wanted to share with you kind of the story and the background. Now, it starts out with two incredibly rich industrialists, Henry Ford and John D. Rockefeller. Now, during the 1920s, they both got really involved with a living history site. Now, there is not necessarily unique. There are quite a few of those stories around the country, but I would say the two biggest ones are the Greenfield Village and Colonial Williamsburg. They were a little bit different in that Rockefeller was sort of brought into a project where they were trying to take an existing town and return it to look like it did during colonial times, which it's really an impressive place. If you haven't been to Colonial Williamsburg, always put it on your list. And they were kind of, in, and um, Henry Ford's was more of sort of a patchwork quilt. He was trying to tell a story. So he created a town that never was out of representative pieces of history that he found and brought in. And one of his uh, requirements was that things looked the part. And uh, that is, I think, something that they also did to some extent at Colonial Williamsburg, but they have uh, both been kind of moving away from. And I think the thing that shows the most how they were kind of competing and copying each other is 
that if you go to the Williamsburg Inn and if you go to the Dearborn Inn, they are pretty much identical. Now, I did get to stay in the Dearborn Inn. It really has a beautiful lobby. Things did not work out, so I got to really have time to look around there at all. And I must say it wasn't quite as cool a place uh, to stay as I'd hoped, but brooms, but uh, still a really fun place and worth stopping in the lobby, <clears throat> even if you don't stay uh, there. So that brings us in to another millionaire industrialist, and that is Harvey Firestone. Now, that is Firestone Tires, and the Ford had a long association with the Firestones. In fact, two of their children got married. So up until the Firestone scandal, probably, what is that now, probably a decade ago, where all these Firestone tires were exploding, which there was reasons, but Ford totally dumped them and distanced themselves from Firestone. But up until that time, they had always been very close, both as companies and personally. So you will see a lot of Harvey Firestone around in the museum still. The other important thing um, of all these places that have been brought together is the Lincoln Connection. Because as anybody who was a great man in the country who was born after Lincoln, worth his salt, was Lincoln. And he wanted, Ford wanted to have a connection to Lincoln. And so he got the Logan County Courthouse, which is one of the courthouses where Lincoln argued when he was on the circuit. And so that was became the courthouse of his imaginary town. Uh, the town has sort of different areas, and there is sort of a village green that has these kind of shops and sort of business biz, businesses, buildings sort of centered around it. There's another area, it's kind of a different uh, time period, there's an area that is a um, sort of skills area. There's a way that's sort of part that's sort of industrial, and there's a part that is uh, agricultural. There's a big part of One Room School, which we'll get back to in a minute. But anyway, in this uh, courthouse area, uh, this one is one Lincoln had. And I mentioned it specifically because we're going to come back to it in just a minute. But while we're talking about Lincoln, I will also say he does also have other Lincoln artifacts, including the chair that Lincoln was shooting or sitting in when he was shot. And what they think is a piece of Laura Keene's dress from that night with the blood on it. Now, um, Henry Ford sometimes believed things were what he wanted them to be. I do not know how good of um, records they have on everything, but uh, there was definitely an interest in Lincoln. All right, so you should know that Henry Ford, while he liked Lincoln, his biggest hero was Thomas Alva Edison. Edison had hired Ford to run one of the electric plants in Detroit. That was his first kind of 
big job and his last one before he left to start the auto company. And he just idolized Edison. You will find a lot more in Greenfield Village having to do with Edison than you will having to do with Henry Ford. For example, he's got the um, depot where Edison got kicked off the train. He was uh, being one of those kind of newspaper candy sandwiches boys going up and down the track. And in between, once he'd made his rounds, he had this spot in the uh, baggage car where he was performing chemical experiments. It exploded. He got fired and booted off the train. So they've got that depot even. Uh, They've got his um, workshop area around Menlo Park. And Ford wanted it to be so correct that he brought in three acres of dirt from Menlo Park, New Jersey, and put it down first before any of the buildings. So he really loved Edison. Uh, Edison is probably not known uh, as much as he should be He is known for uh, inventing the light bulb, which it's the first practical light bulb anyway, but he really invented the whole electric system because just because you have a light that you can plug in um, doesn't do you any good if there's nothing to plug it into. So he invented the whole system of dynamos and uh, transformers and lines and all that stuff. So that was really impressive. And probably his other big invention that nobody talks about is the fact that he invented the modern research and development uh, system where you have a bunch of people working on an assigned task, not for their own outcome, but for the benefit of the, the company. So anyway, Ford really admired Edison. Now he had been working around on this um, Greenfield Village on and off for a long time. He had some houses there and stuff, and he had some buildings. And most important to him, he had uh, he uh, before he had. really got thinking about it in terms of a museum, he wanted it to be in terms of a school. He very famously said history is bunk. And what he meant by that was that the great man history wasn't really telling you the whole story, that he believed in the importance of social history. So what he was doing besides the village was that he and his museum was trying to collect one of everything. So he would have like the whole range. Of, it wouldn't be like there'd be one sad iron. It would be like as close as he could get to having one example of every kind of sad iron ever made. Uh, he would have all sorts of sleigh belts, not just one set. And he would had uh, this idea of doing just a little bit better than open storage where people could see all the variations. And and he kind of was working on that to teach children about this kind of social history. 
And one of the things that he collected were McGuffey readers. He really liked the McGuffey reader. It had gone out to print before 1900. It's now 1920. And Henry Ford starts reprinting it. And that really is um, important to him because he thinks that the lessons of McGuffey Reader need to not be lost, which is while, why McGuffey Readers got back in print and why they have never been out of print since then to this day, which is why all one-room school museums use McGuffey Readers because you can get new copies, new matching copies easily. And he also had a McGuffey school and a school that he attended. And there was a trade school. And he was having this actual school going in there where they were using the museum buildings and learning how to do the trades and all that kind of thing. And he had that started. And uh, just as an aside, that kind of tradition went on. And as soon as they okayed charter schools, the Henry Ford Museum put in for one. So there is now today a school on the grounds that does that same kind of uh, thing that he did then, which is kind of cool. But anyway, so he'd been running this thing as a school, basically, saying, yeah, someday he'd get around to turning it into a museum open for the public. And then his friend Edison had a problem. By that time, Edison had sold out his shares and his stake in the electric company. And it was currently being held by the major corporation, General Electric. Edison did not feel that General Electric, or GE, was doing enough to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the invention of the light bulb. He also thought that they were kind of treating him as an afterthought. And so he complained to his friend, Henry Ford, who decided that they were going to have an event. He was like, if they aren't going to do one, we will have an event here at Greenfield Village, and we'll do the opening of the museum, and we'll have just this huge thing. So October 21st, 1929 the anniversary. They had uh, not only Ford there and Firestone and Edison, they also had President Herbert Hoover and a bunch of other big wigs arrive in the village at the train depot where Edison had gotten thrown off of as a boy. Uh, they went through the town. They stopped at the Logan County Courthouse. And there, President Herbert Hoover started a fire in the fireplace stove thing. And for many years, they constantly kept that fire going so that there was always this fire that President Hoover had started uh, going in the courthouse, which I think was awesome, but they have not done that for many years. And um, it was, of course, put out, which is sad. They went around and toured all the other places. They got to Menlo Park, and uh, Edison was you know, commenting on how nice they got. But of course, he was by this time an older gentleman. And after he climbed the stairs to the second floor workshop, he was kind of tired, and he asked for a chair. So they put a chair sort of in the middle of the floor while they were continuing their sort of event thing. And 
Henry Ford, first thing he did then was have someone go get a hammer and nails and nail the chair where Edison had sat to the floor. So it's always there. And he, uh, in his later guise for the anniversary, is always there in that chair, which I think is just awesome. There's so many awesome things about that, like that at this um, at the Henry Ford. You can also buy just, this is not a direct line, but uh, another really cool thing is that you can buy the uh, replica of actual China patterns that these people use. Uh, they not only reproduced them for the buildings, you can buy them. I have a Sarah Jordan boarding house, which is where the workers at Menlo Park stayed, a lot of them. I can buy, I have one of her teapots down in my collection. It's, I mean, it wasn't owned by her, but it was that pattern, and Henry Ford had reproduced it, or the museum had. So there's a lot of cool things like that. So after they do the whole village thing, they go over to the museum part, which it was built to look like Independence Hall in Philadelphia. They had earlier done a, a cornerstone for the museum, and Henry Ford wrote his name, um, Thomas Edison wrote his name, and Luther Burbank uh, wrote his name and put his shovel into the cornerstone. Henry Ford himself saw um, technology and uh, scientific agriculture combined as the future of the country, and that's why he wanted Burbank, who was a very famous, um, agriculturalists who had developed a whole bunch of hybrids and things like that out in California uh, to be part of this uh, alongside Edison. So they get back there and they had the brilliant idea to use candles to the very moment that he invented the light bulb and then turn the light bulbs on. Wasn't that cool? Who would come up with something like that? But anyway, uh, it didn't end up working because people who are used to electric light aren't used to functioning with less light. When I went to a Living History Meal at uh, Living History Farms once, they had like five kerosene lamps going in the room where people came in because otherwise they just thought it was too dark. That was like walking into a wall of kerosene fumes and it's sort of like, no, there should be one of these lamps. This is way too bright. So they used too many candles, long story short, and they used them all up and so they had to turn on the electric lights early. But still, isn't that a cool idea? So they'd had this big celebration and then they continued uh, having uh, the museum open and you got to see all sorts of cool things. Uh, he started out with uh, a house and windmill from the Codswells, which was the earliest. He uh, did um, things that were uh, around the village green. He did things that were craft shops factory things, and uh, it just all together makes a really nice trip to the past, really. And I always say that I don't understand why people don't talk about the Henry Ford as much as they do Colonial Williamsburg, 
but I think I finally figured it out. They don't talk about Colonial Williamsburg that much either. The reason they did when I was a kid was it was the bicentennial and the lead up and then the next few years after it. I mean, there used to be, you know, you'd turn on the morning show and there'd be people from Colonial Williamsburg. You'd turn on your kids show and there would be people from Colonial Williamsburg and I saw, and they never did that for Greenfield Village, but I think it was because of that 1776 connection that they even did any for Colonial Williamsburg, so you don't hear about it much. Um, I want to just briefly, since we were talking about it, visiting, uh, let me quickly tell you before we move on with the, the story, some of our, probably our three favorite things that we saw when we were at Henry Ford. And one of them was the Model T ride. They had actual Model Ts. Uh, I think two of them they'd made new. They had to get a special exemption from um, the environmental protocols in order to build these, like, I think they built six in total, but they've got, like, two of them at the park, I think. And then they've got four original ones and you hop on and they drive you around the whole village. Very cool. Uh, they also have um, the car that Kennedy was shot in, which was another very clever ploy by Ford. He, uh, for a, years and years, said the Ford Auto Company would furnish the President of the United States a car. It was free or like a dollar or something super, you know, not anywhere near. He was just basically giving it to him. But he wanted them back at the end so he can put them in his museum. So he's got a whole line of the presidential cars up to the one Reagan was in. And after Reagan's, they wouldn't let him do it anymore because they didn't want uh, some of the security modifications they made on display. But it's kind of interesting. They had the uh, Reagan car's window rolled down, and you should have seen how thick that was. And apparently the ones now are so much thicker. But uh, that was the second thing. And the third thing probably was there was this chair. And this guy decided that he could make a chair that would fool the experts that it was from uh, the 1600s. And so he came up with this long labored process and made a chair. And they bought it thinking it was the 1600s chair. And when he told them it wasn't, they would not believe him until he made another one documenting each step so they could see it. Uh, and it came up with the exact thing. And I just think that is uh, so interesting because so many times, you know, there's, they say, this is authentic because I can see this and that and the other. And I always think, well, if somebody else knows those are the things you look for, couldn't they make a copy of it? And this is cool because this guy actually did. So uh, having hit some of the favorite things. Oh, and I also wanted to talk about the restaurant. They have an inn that uh, was from the, I think, 1840s and brought it in there and restored it. 
And it's cool because they kind of try and keep it period in that you have to just sit with a group like you were just coming in off a stagecoach or something all together. So you sat together. They didn't give you straws. They gave you macaroni, which they wouldn't have done back then, but, you know, it was at least something that uh, was a tube straw-like. And they had kind of uh, traditional recipes, and that was really fun. So be sure you do that if you get there. All right, back to other people and how the Ford Museum is part of a larger story. So we already talked about Harvey Firestone and Edison and Herbert Hoover being there for the opening. Uh, And we talked a little bit about who Luther Burbank is and why he was considered uh, an important part to the story. Also, although that was kind of forgotten for a while too, when it is back to being marked as Luther's birthplace again. But when I actually was there, it was just a gift shop with no signage or that at all. But now it does say on the the thing that it is, uh, that it's Luther's uh, birthplace. So anyway, so we talked about him and that gets us up to uh, Walt Disney. And the Disney connection comes from the fact that when he was getting ready to set up Disneyland in the first place, he uh, went to quite a few different places and had been quite a few different places. But one of the places he went was Greenfield Village, and he rode on the train, which circles the village. Sound familiar? That has a uh, train station being uh, right along sort of the the focal point of the layout of the town. Uh, And it has a full-scale train you can ride. And it also has a circular river that has a riverboat on it. Now, the difference between the riverboats in Disney and the riverboat uh, at Stur- or at um, Greenfield is that Greenfield is actually a steamboat that the pilot is uh, piloting. When we were there and we went on it and went around the loop, uh, the person was a trainee and actually missed the dock. And so we had to circle around an extra time in order to get left off. And I think it was because of something like that that Disney put his on a track. And if you did not know that yet, while the steamboat looks like it's, you know, freewheeling along that uh, circular river, it actually is on a track. Um, Pretty much everything at Disney is on a track. But I think that he got some of his uh, ideas on what to include and um, how you recreate a historic town and how you might have, you know, transportation included in part of the story from Greenfield Village. And I think that is just incredibly awesome. But, of course, the most important connection is Laura Ingalls Wilder. Now, those of you that are Laura fans will, of course, remember Laura's famous book week speech. It has... uh, since she died, it got drug out of whatever uh, folder it had been in, 
and republished first by Roger Lane McBride, and now it's been kind of all over the place. And if you don't know the book week speech by that term, I am very sure there are quotes out of there that you would recognize if you did read it, if you're a Laura fan. Now, uh, at the time, they were trying to um, balance the people who were buying children's books for Christmas. They wanted to have an event in the spring to kind of encourage people to come out. So the ALA had um, and worked with the booksellers of America. And they still have book week, children's book weeks, but it isn't near the deal it used to be. And part of that was they would have department stores that would put on these lavish events with authors and displays and all kinds of things. And uh, they asked Laura to come to Detroit. The J.L. Hudson department store there uh, had her be one of the main speakers at this big event. Well, while she was there, she had brought Manly, of course, and they had all this stuff for her to do. Well, Manly didn't have anything to do, so he went out to the Henry Ford Museum. And he looked at the agricultural equipment. And he walked around the village. And there is a lunch wagon there called the Owl Lunch Wagon. And Manley said you could get a better meal cheaper there at that lunch wagon than you could in Mansfield. And I just think that is all kinds of awesome because that lunch wagon is still there and you can go eat at the same place that Almanzo did, and you can walk by the row of, of machinery. And, of course, some of it is, has changed and moved around since then, but you can walk on the very floors Almanzo did when he was on vacation. And isn't that cool? So that is Laura's connection. Now, I've tried to find, I've, I've talked to their archives and tried to find out if there was any record of Laura going there, too, or of Almanzo visiting uh, even in their uh, registers, but they hadn't found anything the last time I talked to them, and I doubt they really cared that much. But I think that is one of the coolest things about it. And I just uh, want to encourage you that if you ever get a chance, you need to go to Henry the Henry Ford and Greedsville Village. And just because you haven't heard about it doesn't mean that it isn't an incredibly cool place that you shouldn't miss. And hopefully some of you heard this this time and that it did record. And if it did, then we will try and get going again with more episodes with guests. Thank you again for visiting me as we talk about the Henry Ford Greenfield Village and how that affected America. And remember to brighten the corner where you are.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.